Welcome back to another episode of Tuxedo Time, where we were tuxedos and it is time. Podcast, Podcast edition. Podcast edition. HIV video edition. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is a, I guess you said HIV video edition. So this episode is kind of a little bit of a behind the scenes Q&A about the HIV documentary film type video that we made on our channel. Yes. So I don't know if anybody is watching, anybody who's watching this podcast or listening to this podcast is probably familiar with our YouTube content. Yes. And if, if not, if you're just tuning in, if you're only um, listeners or watchers of the podcast, um, you can find the video on our channel. Leave it in the show notes, beckingchris.com slash podcast episode, whatever number this is. Um, All the links, uh, pictures, everything that we talk about in the podcast, when we say it's on the show notes, that's where it is. I'm sure if you search Becky and Chris HIV on YouTube, you'd be able to find it as well. Definitely. So just to fill everybody in, in case you haven't seen the video, um, the premise is I ended up getting a needle stick injury at work on a patient who is HIV positive, And it kind of just catalogs the whole experience that we went through collectively um, on what we had to do to try to be safe. And also... Um, the trials and tribulations that we went through uh, coming up, butting head to head with our insurance company. Um, So we kind of answered a lot of questions that we had that I think that a lot of other people probably had as well. So I don't want to, I want to spoil it for you guys. So check the video out. It was actually probably one of the longer videos we've ever released. Definitely. It was definitely the hardest video I think I've ever made to date. And I don't know if because the topic and the subject was so heavy or if it was just the, the story was so complex between all of the avenues that the story went. Um, it was just a challenging one to put together and a challenging one to relive, I feel like. Yeah. You kind of wanted to put it because you were editing it, I mean, almost a year after it happened. Yeah. Well, originally it was supposed to be your project. After all this happened, you were filming. and We'll, we'll talk about why you had the camera at that time and why you were filming. But you were kind of filming to make this documentary kind of film and it was going to be your project. And, um, you did all of these interviews and filmed all of them yourself and you did a fantastic job and you started cutting them down. And I think you got a little bit overwhelmed with like how the story was supposed to kind of come together. Well, I had like, I I made a Milanote board with sort of all the different sort of, I don't know, pillars maybe in the story. Like there was like, it was like there was the event itself getting the needle stick there was explaining sort of what HIV is. Then there was interviews with three different people. And then there was also, you know, us, I, I did those interviews because I wanted to kind of see different people's perspectives. Right. Like our friend Nick, who's, you know, part of the queer community and he thinks about HIV a lot more than most people do. So I kind of wanted us to use him as sort of a real life testimonial on like what, like how real HIV is in a lot of people's lives. It's like, if you're, if you're not straight, right. you probably know a lot more about HIV than if you were straight. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to shed a light on that knowledge disparity. So I kind of th- felt that hearing his viewpoint would be good. But then yeah. like, you know, we want, I wanted to reach out to Evergreen Health, which is um, a like, they're basically a, a healthcare provider in Western New York. And they kind of provide, they do, they kind of specialize in sexual health, but they've kind of branched out to a lot of different areas. So I think that, them having a lot of HIV resources in town would be, was good. So I want to kind of tell their story, but also see their opinion on everything and then speak with uh, Dr. Kloss, which is the infectious diseases doc. Yeah. So you're kind of getting like multiple different perspectives and um, people's real life 
you know, struggles or real life stories about HIV, but then also like getting the facts. Well, I wanted uh, to, to speak to people who are more knowledgeable on it than me. Right. I, like in, in the video, I kind of said, you know, I haven't thought about HIV since medical school, yeah. you know, which is it's just not part of my practice. Right. Um, but we won't spoil it for anybody else, but that, that was kind of the background to understand the complexity of the project. So I had all these interviews cut, cut down essentially to sound bites. Mm-hmm. And I sort of had an idea of what I wanted to say. And then all the, all the, the whole insurance debacle, yeah. like that was a recurring theme after, you know, dealing with them on multiple calls, then having the pharmacy keep like messing up. <laughs> it's just like one trial after another, but having how to weave all those stories together was in a cohesive manner was the difficult part that I was having and make it not just, and make it something that was inter- interesting enough to watch, like that held the viewer's attention. That's where I think you kind of came in because I had all these all this stuff cut down to its sound bites and bare essentials, but I didn't know how to compile it into something that was right. good. Yeah. I think what was so challenging too about the video is that, you know, normally when we do a video like this and we haven't done a lot, but we've done a couple, we usually have a pretty good plan or, or vision of what the end product is going to be. And then we end up doing a rough storyboard or narrative scripts and uh, shot lists and things like that. Um, and so we shoot for the idea, but with this video, we were really documenting and kind of, we had no idea how it was going to turn out. You had no idea what the results of your tests were going to be. You had no idea where things were going with the insurance company. All you could really control was the interviews that you were doing. So we couldn't really plan anything until we started editing and see kind of like what we had in the interviews and what we had, you know, cause there wasn't any like, Oh, we need to go get like this specific shop because it was all, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to get my blood test. I'm just going to film it. Or I'm going to, I got to go get my medication, so I'm going to just film everything. Not, You're not saying, like, I need a shot of this person saying this thing or a shot of outside the pharmacy. It was kind of like go with the flow, run and gun. Kind of like vlogging, but not. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, I think that's the essence of documentary filmmaking yeah. is not really. Kind of knowing what what the point is, but not yeah, really like knowing where it's going to take you. Yeah, like having a story you want to tell, but then having it kind of meander a little bit and being okay with that mm-hmm. and like even and even with the whole like you getting the me getting the results you getting the results like we were going to film that I was going to film it live but then like they called me the day I was like oh your results are back yeah and, and you just uh, called me yeah there's no screen recording there was no like well, setup. what I was going to do is I was going to film I think what I was now that I think back on because this happened so long ago I was going to film the interaction with me and get Dr. Kloss to give me the results and we were going to film it the same way. Right. He called me and he's like, Hey, uh, just want to let you know, your results are negative, which, you know, like to anybody who is in, when you're waiting on the test results like that, you want to know right away. Right. right, Yeah. So that, that's, everybody wants that expeditious result and nobody wants to drag it out and be like, no one wants to come in and like, okay, give me the results doc. And then have him tell you in person. Plus with the pandemic, it's like these types of things can be busy as well. Yeah, no, exactly. He's busy. It's the last thing he wants to do is set up for another like interview kind of thing. Right. I mean, luckily like when this was all going down, that was at the peak of the initial COVID spike right. back in like March when everything was locked down and shut down and everybody was staying home. Mm-hmm. So like all the elective stuff in healthcare was, was very slowed down. So the, the hospitals actually were like ghost towns. So like we had the extra time to be able to do those interviews and things like that. Right. But yeah, that's the last thing you want to do is burden somebody with that. So exactly. but he called me, he was like, your results are negative. And I was like, shit, how am I going to make this like a, like a, how am I going to add this now to the story? So right. I was like, well, the real, the real, the real delivery is, is if you, when you find out, mm-hmm. 
being my partner. So that's right. what we kind of did. I said, Becky, I'm getting my test results today. Set up a camera. I'll call you in like five minutes. When you told me that, like, I remember you texting me and being like, I'm getting my results. I'll probably call you in like a half hour. I was so sick to my stomach. So at that point, I already had my test results. Uh, you dick. <laughs> but you kind of had to like wait to get the genuine reaction. You know what I mean? Right. I figured you would be okay with that rather than not having an end of that story. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Can you imagine if we like, I just told you, they're like, wait a second. <laughs> then we yeah. didn't have a genuine reaction. Yeah, it would be terrible. What's funny is that like we're, you and I don't usually put our emotions on the internet like that, especially on our YouTube videos. Like They're usually pretty lighthearted. Yeah. So do you have no idea how hard it was for me to set up a camera and film myself getting that news and then trying to like hold it together and not, I ended up crying on camera. That's the first time I think I've ever done that. Um, it was really hard for me to like put that in the video and I knew I had to put it in the video because it was the end of the story, but it's so uncomfortable to me for me to like open up like that. It's interesting. Yeah. You have a problem with showing your emotions. And you know, yeah, I do. And What's funny is that like while we were editing the film, it's toxic masculinity getting the best. <laughs> As we were editing, I had the whole video put together except for that end part. Cause you're putting it off. I was putting it off. I waited. It was the night before we posted it was when I finished that part of the video. Cause I just, I felt uncomfortable rewatching it. Interesting. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that looking back on it, I feel like we just like, I don't want to say we slapped this project together. No, cause we've been kind of working on it for a while and you know, pinging back and forth on ideas and how we're going to deal with the story. Um, but we, and we worked a little bit on it here and there, but we hadn't really like just sat down and done it. And like two weeks ago, we we're like, you know what? We need to get this fucking video finished and up. And we just did it. And yeah. there are things about the video when I look at that. Yeah. They could have been better. We could have done animations and we could have done more shots. And I wish that we could have shot all of those interviews in the studio and had really good audio and really beautiful shots. But, you know, there's a pandemic. It's a pan yeah, it is what it is. And so I think it ended up being fine. I think the story, it wasn't our most cinematic masterpiece by any means, but I think the story is what carried the video. Yeah. And it didn't really matter that there were no animations or there was no, you know, beautiful interviews. I think we kind of worked with what we had to work with. And yep. Yeah. There you go. Should we move on to the question? Before we get started, real quick, give our international listeners a little bit of like, information about what the American healthcare system looks like. Okay. Yes. Yeah, Cause the, a lot of the story involved us battling with our health insurance company. Right. Um, so in, in America we have basically what's called a multi-payer system. And when I use the term payer, that's the person who pays for the healthcare. So the insurance companies, so there's a bunch of different health insurance companies, whether it be the government or a bunch of other private companies, and they are all sort of competing quote unquote in the open free market to try to get your business. So when people sign up for health insurance, they might have say Blue Cross Blue Shield, they might have independent health, they might have whatever, what there's, there's tons of healthcare insurance companies. Whereas in most developed nations, they have what's called a single payer system, which uh, has one payer and that's basically the government. So in Canada, for example, for example, the government pays for patients' healthcare. So there's no there's no private there's no private interest in healthcare. It's it's just a government provided social program. Versus down here, it's a business. So we have a bunch of questions from Instagram. I reached out to you guys, and so I'm gonna kick it off with this first question because I feel like I feel like some people were shocked 
to find out that you were a doctor, which to, oh, really? me, to me, yeah, there were some people like, oh my God, I had no idea Chris was a doctor. Um, people who do know you're a doctor and know you're a radiologist might not really understand your job. So this question was like, oh shit. So I'm going to ask it. Okay. And Cole's notes. Okay? okay. So this person, Magic Marson asks, as a radiologist, how come you managed to stick yourself? Because radiologists, you think of chest x-rays and CT scans. Right, right. Yeah. So radiologists are physicians who interpret medical imaging, which I did my residency in, but I also subspecialized and did um, subspecialty training in interventional radiology, which is specializing in doing minimally invasive image guided procedures. Um, even if I was a diagnostic radiologist and did diagnostic radiology, there are still procedures that they do. In fact, most places, if you get like a, a biopsy done under image guidance, so if you, you know, tissue sampling from a tumor, um, or, you know, fluid drain from a compartment in the body somewhere, it's probably going to be a radiologist who does it. Uh, and those are just sort of basic procedures that most radiologists do. Uh, so as a radiologist, you still see patients. Uh, as an interventional radiologist, you see patients even more, which is the type of radiologist that I am. You're basically like doing procedures more than you're interpreting images. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of clarifies a little bit why you were working with needles in the first place. Mm -hmm. You primarily work with needles every day. Yeah. Like needles are my, I, I every single day. I work with needles on multiple cases. Yeah. Like for me, like we use cameras and lenses. And yeah. My, needles to me are like your cameras. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I then I thought about that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, side note, I like to call Chris the, uh, IR special specialist of the uh, renovation. Cause he's also fantastic at fishing electrical wires <laughs> and like getting into really tight spaces and like fixing shit. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. The next question is, when did you decide to start filming this and was it something you immediately wanted to share? Um, so I fil started filming this literally the, the day it happened, like a, an hour after the, it happened. You had been carrying around a camera at that point for yeah, a few weeks. So I had just got whatever the newest GoPro was at the time. Hero 9 or I feel like it was 8? The eight. It was the 8. Yeah. Yeah. I just, just got a Hero 8 and the the reason why I was carrying that around is to document what was going on with COVID because I felt like we were in these weird times that had, you know, his, I felt that the times we were in were very historically relevant. Um, and I wanted just to document things going on and in case there's anything that was going on at the hospital. Well, at, at that point they were starting to set up tents because they yeah. were expecting ICUs to be overflowed. So they were setting up tents. So we were kind of like, yeah. Ooh, like let's document this and we'll make a video about COVID. Cause we did that video last spring about COVID. Right. But also like just to have footage of from COVID times, mostly about my own thoughts. It was kind of like a, like a little bit of like a video journal almost. Mm -hmm. And there's probably clips all throughout. Like a vlog? Like a, yeah. It was, like, <laughs> yeah. It was basically, but when we use the word vlog, you think of just like a weekly video someone posts up, but yeah. it was just my kind of my thoughts about and documenting what was going on and what I was seeing, what I was hearing and just to sort of document the times and we stay, we may still use that footage. Who knows when, Right. you know, maybe in 20 years, we'll look back on how crazy 2020 was and with respect to COVID. And we'll remember when we wore masks everywhere. Yeah, remember when we didn't shake hands with people. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I was, I was filming myself and my thoughts about COVID at the time, just with a GoPro that I would have in my pocket at all times. So when this happened, actually it's a lie. It wasn't in my pocket. It was in my my bag. So, Oh Jesus. Yeah. But no, but when I, when I had the needle stick injury, right. I literally washed my hand scrubbed it underwater. And then I went to emer the emergency room, got the treatment I needed, and then went right back to my office. And this was, this was at the, it was kind of like one of those things where it was like the last 
the last procedure of the day, we were actually done with procedures. I think it was after five at the point at that point. And we weren't doing any cases, but you know, the, the clinic calls like, Hey, we got a guy here who, um, we would love to get a procedure on him before, you know, can we just fit him in? And I was like, let me see if someone's still here. And I was like, okay, our milestone people are still here. Let's, let's fit them in. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're like, you're sort of like at the end of the day, and I don't want to say like, we weren't like rushing, but you know, like, I think it's more so like when you hear this, oh, someone has, it's HIV positive. It's in the back of your head and it kind of psychs you out a little bit. Yeah. You're like being extra cautious, right. extra careful. But being extra cautious and having that one thing to think about leads to you doing things slightly differently. Like you might, you know, just handle the needle slightly differently. And that in and of itself might put you at a higher risk than right. you would be at any other given day. You know, like how many times have I done this procedure? You know, the thousands of times I've done this and never stuck myself, but then it happens the one time it happens, it's on an HIV positive patient, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that, you know, or it could be like, you know, it's at the end of the day, we're trying to like, you know, fit them in. I know, I know my ultrasound techs, you know, already here late. Like I don't, I, I often stay late to finish the, my work, but mm-hmm. you know, I know they're not there. They're not usually not there late. So it's like, you're thinking about that. But for whatever the reasons is, you know, whatever, whatever the reasons are, you know, it happens. So then I went to the emergency room, got treated and went back to my office. And then I was like, you know what? I should probably document this. And just cause it's, it's, it's something crazy that just happened. Um, may never use it, may make a video about it. It's better to have the footage than not. Yeah. I think that we kind of got trained in this mindset of document everything since Vancouver. Cause that's what we did. We just documented. Right. And a lot of our videos at the time, and I've talked about this a million times, but there was no story. It was just documenting. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of used to like, Oh, this is happening. Maybe we should just film it just in case. Yep. Um, or, and, even just to have a timeline of things happening or if you ever need it down the road. And in this case, I, I don't know if, well, you can answer this. Like did, at that time, were you like, whatever way this turns out, this is going to be a video or were you just kind of like, we're just going to, we'll sit on this and see what happens. Well, I was like, I, I really didn't know at that point. I was like, you know, the one thing that I kind of, I think I sort of take for granted is that like a lot of the things that go on in my life being a physician the public general public's not privy to. Mm -hmm. So something that I think is just like, Oh, it's whatever. It's a hazard of the work. They might not even realize that that's a hazard, let alone what happens if it does, if it does happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I, and I said this in the film, but like, I think a lot of people talk about, you know, going into medicine and the mental health risks that go along with that, the long hours and you're dealing with sick patients and it's a lot mentally to deal with, but nobody really talks about, getting stuck with an HIV contaminated you know, or hep C or any of those things, or even like a violent patient. Like, when do you ever really hear about that? Except for on something like Grey's Anatomy, which it almost seems so fake. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, someone was, someone was uh, shot in their clinic in Texas within the last month or two. That terrifies the yeah, shit like, out of me. That's, you know, the, the public, you know, who you're vowing to protect and serve, mm-hmm. you know, they can, they can turn on you. They can be it's scary, uh, you know, a threat. Yeah. But you know, that aside, um, yeah, so I, I filmed that little intro segment the day of not knowing what we're going to do with it. Right. And I think that the way the whole story panned out as far as like the trials and tribulations, the insurance de- or debacle mm-hmm. that I think kind of took a life of its own. Of course, we we're never planning on that happening. You know, so no. a lot of this stuff, it was, it might've, I, I was thinking in my head, you know, we may never use this footage. It may just be like a quick little vlog, you know, or we might, it might be like a little segment within a vlog that we'll just casually mention. Oh, by the way, Chris got stuck with an HIV positive patient's needle. Yeah. And this is kind of how it went. And here's how it went. He got tested. He's good. Yeah. And that could have been just like a little excerpt 
Yeah, but that in, first that first experience that you have with the insurance company, and you kind of knew because you've been battling with insurance companies with your patients forever. Oh my god, yeah, and you kind of knew, and that you were like, "This is going to be but something." I, I didn't think that it was going to be. Well, this, you think you think like, "Oh my god, I have great health insurance." Yeah, well, great like, great health insurance <laughs> is a myth, uh, yeah. in my opinion. I feel mm -hmm. like great health insurance just means that you you pay a higher premium and. They generally to take advantage of you. They will <laughs> generally pay more than say like your base uh, Medicare patients reimbursements to their physicians. Right. So like, uh, when, yeah, when people say great insurance, uh, that's a very healthcare centric, healthcare provider centric thing because it more so had talks about the upside of what they're going to get reimbursed. Because mm -hmm. everybody, because if I was a physician, I did a procedure on say you with insurance X and you with insurance Y and you with insurance Z. X, Y, and Z are all going to pay slightly different amounts. So right. having good insurance is mostly like a physician saying, oh, this person's, this person's insurance is going to pay me more. Right. So that I actually had an experience down here a couple of years ago with, with something similar to this. Yeah. It wasn't like your experience at all, but I was seeing a dentist. Um, first time going to the dentist since uh, moving to Vancouver, had to get my teeth cleaned, whatever, had no issues, wasn't having any pain. And I went to the dentist and the first thing he said to me was like, oh, you have really good insurance. And suddenly I was having a root canal. Run for the hills. <laughs> suddenly I was having a root canal on a tooth that I had no pain on. An asymptomatic tooth. Yeah. And yeah. now I actually have issues from that root canal. That tooth was causing me issues for two years after the root canal. It's crazy. Um, and so I uh, clearly, I like obviously switched dentists, but like the fact that this doctor said, oh, you have good health insurance or good dental insurance. And then suddenly it was like, you need a root canal. How much is, how much are you making off that? You know, it's, it's suspect. It's certainly it is. Suspect. It sure so what did is. your new dentist say when you told him that? He said, that's ridiculous. How do you, how did you have a root canal on a tooth with no pain? Yeah. And he was like, that's pretty sketchy. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, so back to the social media. They, they had a very nice office too, didn't they? Oh, they sure did. Yeah. Yep, they sure did. You, and got, I, you got sucked in by the interior design. I did. Well, I was actually going to go through with them and get Invisalign. And then after that, I was like, you know what? They're probably going to be like making yeah, so much. Gonna be, I was like, you're no. upsold on something. Or I'll have to get like some teeth removed or yeah, yeah something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. But that's just a sidebar. So going back to your thing, um, do you want to answer more questions or sure, yeah. I kind of interrupted you. I'm, I'm sorry. What was just, the question again? <laughs> uh, the question was, when did you decide? So it, when did you decide to film it? And it was kind of like, an, um, well, actually, I don't yeah, remember. it was kind of an ongoing, it was an ongoing thing. Like right. we, I decided to film it this, the day of, yeah. and, but we didn't know where it was going. Yeah. So we just documented. Yeah. So the next question is, will Chris have to take any meds or get tested again in the future? No, that four month mark was the de facto defining final test. Yeah. And yeah. you were negative. Spoiler. Yes. Correct. Negative. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, the next, the next question is, um, what is your opinion on people who say that free healthcare is not a right? This is a deep question. I feel like this is, <laughs> you're going to go deep. Yeah. I think that like this, this whole video inadvertently took a very political spin. I did. But I tried not to insert sort of the natural next conclusion of insurance-based healthcare is garbage. Yeah. I just wanted to like say, here, here's my experience. Make your own conclusions about what this healthcare system is all about. People were pissed. And the overwhelming, I did not see one comment. I was expecting to see if, at least a few comments of, oh, you should have done this or, oh, this is, you know, maybe if you did this, then there was none of that. It yeah. was all like, holy shit. There was two types of comments. 
when it came to like health insurance or health care, mm-hmm. the first type of comment, 50% of the comments were one was, oh my God, I am so thankful for insert country that's not the USA yep. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for my whatever country's healthcare, I couldn't even imagine going through this. Yeah. Uh, or B, um, wow, I didn't realize how shitty healthcare was in America. Yep. This is insane considering this is coming from like one of the nations that, that sort of brands itself as being the best, you know? Oh like, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. insane. I but, did see one comment of somebody who was like, you're a doctor, just pay for it. But that's like, comp- you missed the point on that. It's right. like, yes, could we have afforded the $1,100 pills? Sure. But is it right to be charging people who are in this situation who got stuck or exposed and it's like preventing this like lifelong illness? It's not right to be charging yeah. people that much money. But the, the question initially was, what do you say to people who believe that healthcare is not a right? Sorry, I got triggered. Yeah, no, it's, but it's, it's, and again, we try to keep the politics out of that video, yeah. but I'm very opinionated when it comes to these types of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've lived north and south of the border in Canada and the USA. I spent about half my life in both places and I've worked in both systems and I've seen firsthand both systems. So, so, so first of all, if this happened to me in Canada, I just want to get this out there. I'm very well might've been in a very similar situation because Canada does not have, despite them having quote unquote universal healthcare, they don't have universal prescription coverage. Right. So I may have found myself in the same situation. Um, Yes, because actually I had a couple of people reach out to me from Canada who said they were in a similar situation where they had an accident at work and they were in this purgatory between. So while I think that Canadians as a whole are a lot better off north of the border with their system, as far as uh, health equity is concerned or, mm-hmm. uh, or equality. Um, I don't, I don't think this situation would have panned out any differently. Um, but the, you know, the other thing, the other thing that I say about for people who say like, Oh, healthcare is not a right. It's a privilege that that is a very American attitude. And it all comes down to sort of how you were raised culturally. But, you know, the question that I'd ask those people is, you know, do you think that, you know, uh, that having, uh, emergency fire services, services is a right or a privilege? Do you think that having access to police is a right or a privilege? Mm -hmm. Do you think that a K through 12 education is a right or a privilege? And a lot of those answers come down to your culture and the fact that you were raised with those amenities at your disposal covered through a social program. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you're going to think that those are a right. Right. But if you had grown up in a country where not just K through 12, but K through 12 and post-secondary education was paid for by social programs, then you would think that college education was a right as well. Whereas most people here in the U.S. say, oh, college education is not a right. You have to pay for that. Yeah. The same thing about healthcare. Most developed nations have uh, a socially funded healthcare program, which is equal to everybody. In fact, it's literally baked into the Canadian charters of rights and freedoms that healthcare is a right. Mm-hmm. It's So that's the equivalent of down here, to put it in sort of American terms, It's it, it, that's if that would be like the constitution saying, healthcare is a right for all the people in this country. And I think that if most people grew up that way, then it's only a matter of, they would think that that's, they would agree that's a right. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's not baked into an arbitrary document by some founding fathers, therefore they don't think it's a right. Right. But I would, you know, I would implore people to say, you know, like look at all the social programs that you avail of that you don't think anything about, like Mm -hmm. snowplows on roads, driving on roads, all these funded government funded programs, what makes healthcare any different? Right. And in fact, I would say that healthcare is more important than a lot of these programs because it it makes such a difference in people's outcomes. Absolutely. But anyway, that's what I would say. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. 
I feel like I'm interviewing me like, all right, Dr. Chris. <laughs> okay. There should be some questions there for you though. Cause There's I think a, a lot of this, you were a big question mark in this whole experience for a lot of people. Yeah. I wasn't was, really in the video really. Like I was the, you know, a handful of times popped up, but, but it's okay. So we'll talk about that after, but the next, well, this is kind of involves me. Um, the next question is, had you become, had Chris become HIV positive, would Becky need to take preventative medication? Oh, so, you can answer that question after knowing, after seeing the video. Yeah. So I, I actually learned so much about obviously HIV and, and the medications through editing this video. And so the answer is yes. If Chris was positive, um, with HIV, then I would have to take prep, which is what a lot of um, people in the LGBTQ community where, uh, where use, <laughs> I'm just wearing my prep, <laughs> just wearing my prep. But, uh, a lot of people in the queer community who are, you know, sexually active and not in a committed relationship, I guess they take prep, right? Is that, yeah. yeah. So, um, I would have to take prep to prevent myself from contracting and you would probably have to take whatever concoction of medications to be, uh, to have no copies of the virus showing up in your blood. So you could be undetectable. U equals you. Yeah. And not pass it to me. Yeah. Undetectable so. equals untransmissible. Exactly. Yeah. So if, if I'm taking, as Dr. Kloss said in this interview, yeah. if I'm taking, say I was HIV positive, mm -hmm. but it's under control. I'm taking a concoction of medications, uh, antiretroviral medications, uh, and it gets my viral load down to zero or undetectable. Yeah. Then there's no way that I can, the studies have shown that you can have unprotected sex and not transmit HIV to your partner. Correct. Now they would probably put you on prep as a preventative measure, mm -hmm. pre-exposure prophylaxis. Correct. Um, so with these medications, it's a very treatable illness. Yeah. And like Dr. Kloss said, he says, he, he's like, I tell my patients, this is a disease you will die with, not of. Correct. Because the, the landscape has changed so much over the last decade. Yeah. He said like out of his, some of his patients who are like 60 plus out of the laundry list of health issues that they have, HIV is like down like six, seven, eight on the list. Yeah. yeah. It's stuff. like and heart disease, diabetes, all like all of that yeah. stuff is higher up it's on like, the dude, list. Do worry about your heart disease more than this HIV right now, because this yeah. is something that's more of a risk to you. It's pretty incredible that in the last 30, 40 years that we went from death sentence to living with it and being. Yeah. And a lot of these, and looking at the timeline, it's, it's, I was surprised how scared I was at the beginning compared to what, when I actually found out all that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to make this, that video. Well, you had no idea what to expect because at, like, as you mentioned in the video, as a straight dude, like you never had to think about this before. Right. And you hadn't really learned, like things have changed since you learned about HIV in med medical school, like 10, 15, however long ago that was. Yeah. So 10 years ago they were doing the trials, right. like the, the prep trials were just coming out. Um, so all of that, that revolution has kind of happened since I learned about HIV in medical school. Right. And then of course I'd never really like, I don't routinely, my practice doesn't, isn't tailored to HIV. So I'm not going to know about it other exactly. than the random, I might, you know, I, I've, I treated a handful, you know, of HIV patients a year probably. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not something that I would know a lot about, but that's kind of the, the impetus to make this video was because right. of, it's like, wow, as a physician, I have such a hole in my knowledge here. Yeah. And, I, they, and that kind of sparked like, wait, if I don't understand this, maybe a lot of other people don't really know about it either. Exactly. So yeah. that's kind of like, yeah, it was kind of like a private and really difficult thing for us to go through, but also like it was almost a moment of being able to educate the public about this as well. Yeah. Cause you're not seeing much information unless you're dealing with it and researching it. Yeah. Nobody's really talking about it. And I think too, a lot of the stigmas that exist that have existed and still exist um, 
were around the shame that was perceived and a lot of it was from homophobia. Yeah. So it's, Oh, you have this disease, therefore you're gay and therefore society doesn't like you kind of thing. Yeah. Like that's a lot of where I think a lot of the stigma came from. And I can't, as a, again, as a straight person, I can't really speak on, on people's behalfs of that, you know, from that standpoint, but mm-hmm. the, the way I kind of looked at it was, you know, this, there's still a lot of work to be done, I think for, from the stigma standpoint. So yeah. it's a lot, it's probably a lot easier for me to talk about, as a straight person and educate other straight people rather than, you know, being gay and having like other straight people being like, why would I listen to this person? This doesn't apply to me kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But newsflash, you can catch HIV and not be gay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The first time I ever heard about prep was in the subways in Vancouver. I saw ads for it. Yeah. Um, like billboards on the wall. And I was like, Oh, I didn't really know like a lot about that. And then when we moved to Buffalo and, um, I met some of my friends here, um, started volunteering with Evergreen Health Health once a year, doing the dining out for life thing. And that's where um, there's like a night where you eat at restaurants and part, part of the um, money that those restaurants make go towards HIV and AIDS research. Um, and that's really like ironic that you did that volunteer work with Evergreen. Yeah. Before this happened. Before, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, not, and I didn't really know a lot about it again, right? But I knew about prep from the ads I saw in Vancouver. And then uh, Nick, who was in our film, um, told me all about it because I didn't know. And I think that some of the things that I thought about HIV were, were clearly incorrect. And he told me, like, that's not true. Like, this is actually the reality of it. And I was like, oh, shit, well... I don't know anything about this. And then it wasn't until this happened where I was like, oh, we need to like learn about this. I remember he mentioned prep to me and I didn't really know what he was talking about. And he said, oh, I take this medication uh, to prevent contracting HIV. And then I was thinking like, wait a second, you're ta- if you're taking medication, that means that you have been exposed or you have HIV. Like, yeah, are you, are you HIV positive? Case. Yeah. It's like, mm, I, like I'd never, it's not something I'd ever heard of. So I was a little bit like, I don't know much about this. Yeah. But you know, I looked into it. It's like, oh, okay. This is like now yeah. what people do. Right. Um, but of course, then when this whole thing happened, you know, like it was literally years later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, well, I know about this a little bit, but I don't know about what it's like to live with HIV and what's the actual, like, is my life expectancy going to be diminished? Is my quality of life going to be diminished? Is there, are there still stigmas around all of this? So that was, yeah, that, that kind of all were questions that I had that I felt that other people would probably have. Definitely. Okay. Let's ask the next question. Okay. One sec. I got a burpsy. You bad man wasn't a loud one I would have done it in the mic just for you Christopher okay next question is was there I despise a sp- you <laughs> sorry continue <laughs> the next question is was there a strain on your relationship during the months that you thought Chris might have it I don't think there was a, there I don't there was no strain but it was scary and it was I think it was no different than like what you and I go through when we face something collectively. Yes. Like as a team. Yeah. Like COVID maybe. Yeah. But on the other, uh, like we weren't getting in fights. It wasn't. No, 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 not at all. I think just overall, like I was scared and nervous and there's so much like when you're waiting for the blood test to say whether you're negative or positive, like the intimate relations that happen in the relationship that's what's challenging. There's never fights or arguments, but it's like, oh, well, if, if we have the coitus, the coitus, (laughs) am I going to, is he positive and am I going to contract it? And because I wasn't on any medication, because there was no need for me to be at the time. Yeah. Well, the recommendation was just, just use condoms. Exactly. Um, But it's still, it's still terrifying, but there was no strain. It was just, it was just stressful and scary, 
but not in a fighting or tension way like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like COVID. Yeah. Just, just like one like, more thing to add to 2020. God. Yeah. I, and at that point too, like, I feel like I was going deep down the hole of COVID <laughs> depression <laughs> and then put that on top of it. And then I think there was a period of time where like, we didn't make videos or for a while. And like, how do you get on camera and smile and laugh and yeah. pretend everything's okay when a COVID's happening and B you don't, your husband just got stuck with an HIV needle and you have no idea if they're positive or negative and how that affects the entire rest of your life. Yeah. Like, I think can that, you have kids? Can you even have sex anymore? Like be, before you knew about it, yeah. all these questions were going through my head. Like what and now happens? You have, like, now you have those questions. Yeah. Undetectable equals untransmissible. Yes. You can have kids. Exactly. Yeah. But I didn't know that at the time. And so you, you start spiraling. Yeah. Right. But the, the other thing to consider too, is that, that people don't realize is that they think that they know everything about people online who share their lives online on YouTube, yeah, whatever yeah. the platform there's a lot of stuff going on in people's lives you have no idea about. Yeah. And if we had never made this video, people would never have known about it. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's been it's one of those things where it was, it was protracted over such a long period of time. I mean, we made a decision that if we're going to talk about this, we're going to make it, we're going to package it into like a video of its own. It's not going to be like we add a vlog. Oh, by the way, Chris got stuck with an HIV positive. No, it was, needle. Well, it's such a serious topic. And, and anytime we make videos, it's I not feel like, like a home renovation where we're like, okay, here's the progress on this. Yeah. Like, oh, by the way, Chris got another test that, you know, it's, it needs to be a full package, one right. video kind of thing. And so you have to kind of wait it out. Um, yeah. I, don't, so I lost my train of thought. It added, it added a little bit of stress collectively mm -hmm. as a whole. Just yeah. one more thing was weight on your shoulders for that whole year. Yeah. There was a point between when you got stuck, um, before we had done all the interviews and before you knew you were negative, where you were working on a renovation project and you cut your finger really bad uh, yes. in the router table. It was very <laughs> disgusting. And uh, so I heard screaming coming from the garage and I went out and there was blood all over the floor. And in a normal scenario, your mind goes first aid, let's get your finger wrapped up, get the bleeding stop, get it cleaned up, whatever. And the first thing I thought of was like, is this contaminated blood? Cause you said, can you go out and wipe up my blood? Oh yeah. And I didn't even think about the fact that I had some, yeah, that well, was post needle stick. Yeah. You were uh, actually, I can't remember if I came out or if you came in either way. I remember you were standing over the sink and you were shaking because obviously your finger was fucked and <laughs> you were, like yeah, it was like dog meat and you're trying to like get it to stop bleeding. And you were like, can you go wipe up my blood? And like the first thing I thought of was like, oh God. You like, didn't say anything though. No, I didn't. Cause I didn't want to make you feel bad or make Aww, you, I, so and sweet. I didn't want, I didn't want you to think that I thought anything different of you. Or if you ended up being positive that I would have any type of thoughts, bad thoughts about you. And it, it you wasn't on your PPE. I feel like I did put on a glove, <laughs> a glove, but or maybe two. I can't remember. <laughs> double <It's>, glove. <laughs> no, I mean like one on each end. <laughs> no, not double. I can't re I can't and remember. I put on a condom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to clean I put up on a blood. full body condom. Just, no, um, I can't remember because that night was a bit of a blur because I remember having to go to the neighbor's house and get first aid stuff. But it's I do. ironic that we didn't have the proper first aid I stuff. Know, you being a doctor. Yeah. But I do remember that. And I remember like, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything to him because I don't want him to like feel bad or feel like I am going to treat him differently if this oh, turns so out different. Sweet. But I was scared when you told me to wipe up your blood. I looked at the blood and thought, is this contaminated? <laughs> and that's not really a, a nice thought to have about when your husband almost cuts his finger off. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so I cleaned up the blood. There's still some marks out there, but some blood stains on the, it was, it was a lot of yeah. blood. 
It wasn't that much. It was a few uh, drops. There's still a lot of blood out there. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Okay. There's, so there's very interesting big, huge drips on the floor. Insight. Yeah. So that was, I kind of forgot about that actually, but till. I had no idea about that till today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, like I said, I didn't want you to think that. Cause not like, I didn't think anything different. I just was like, I was a bit nervous about it. Cause I was like, do I have any cuts on my hand? Do I have to worry about this? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, anyway. Okay, so the next question is, is there anything, are there any things about the U.S. healthcare system that you like more than what we have in Canada? I think I have kind of one. Okay. The The only benefit that I've seen is the ability to get treatment quicker um, versus having to be on a huge waiting list with a backlog of stuff. Yeah, I was going to, I was trying to formulate something along those lines, but that's not always true though. Yeah. And see, I don't know the back end. I just see the front end, yeah. you know? So it's interesting because, uh, when you're in a single payer system, which is what Canada is. Yes. Single payer means. So payers being who's paying for the care. Is it an insurance company? One of many down here, or is it the government? Right. I.e., single payer system, which is like Canada. Got it. So when you're in a single payer system, it runs lean like most government programs everything's usually running just above capacity. So things that aren't urgent take the back seat. But what the narrative that a lot of, and it's funny because a lot of people, that exact narrative that you told Mm -hmm. was propagated by an individual who was in the marketing firm of a big healthcare company. Really? He wrote an op-ed piece within the last few years about that. Can you define what op-ed means? An opinions piece, not news, but opinion. Um, like an editorial opinion editorial so it's like oh, when you read op- op-ed opinion yes yes it's like a portmanteau of those yeah. words i heard that on the show we're watching we're watching designated survivor and i've heard them say op-ed a couple of times and i i thought about it the other day in the bathroom i was like op-ed what does what that mean op-ed? i only know that because i used to work at the muse newspaper <laughs> nice <laughs> so so uh yeah he they wrote it in a, they're basically like a testimonial of how they created this and it patently was not true. Wow. And to this day, the the ramifications of that ad campaign are mm-hmm. still plaguing the opinions of single-payer systems. Holy shit. And insurance companies are loving it because they're like, yes, we need to paint single-payer system as evil because it threatens our existence. Yeah. And it's kind of like the De Beers Diamond Company when they're like, oh, we should make a, we should do a, an ad campaign saying you should spend mm, one month's salary on your diamond for your, for your engagement ring. And yeah. it, it was so wildly successful. They're like, fuck, let's make it two months. And it's just like, nah, that's just got crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it starts as an, an ad campaign. So right. that's where it all started. But if you actually, from my own experience, based on what I see, people wait for things that are considered quote unquote elective, but things that are not elective in my opinion, actually happened faster in Canada. Really? Yeah. So seeing, I've seen a lot of cancer care down here happen the same, if not slower than it would have happened in Canada. Wow. And, you know, j- just my own, from my own personal experience, my grandmother had breast cancer and she literally went to, she went in for her biopsy. She had her, uh, she went in, sorry, she went in for her diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound and she had that plus a biopsy the same day and a consult with one of the radiologists. And that is like world-class care. This is, now this is in Newfoundland. It's an mm-hmm. island. So already you're dealing with a, a system that's going to be harder to provide uh, standard 
level of care because of the fact that it's, you know, economies to scale. Everything's going to be more expensive because you have a, f- a smaller population and a more, a more sparsely populated area. Mm-hmm. So you have a lower population density, higher costs. So it's going to be harder to compete on a world-class, but that was world-class care that she got in yeah. Newfoundland. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for that, but you'd be hard pressed to find that in even the top centers um, wow. here in, in the U S like that's something you would expect at like an, a center of excellence kind of thing. Right. So in my opinion, I think that a lot of the stuff goes on north of the border, the stuff that has to wait is going to be stuff that is either unnecessary, completely unnecessary, um, or it's stuff that can wait because it's elective. Right. Uh, one of the, but people will always cherry pick the small things like, oh, people came down here to have this surgery done or people came down that those are exceptions to the rule. The vast majority of Canadians are able to get exceptional healthcare mm-hmm. for a lot less money to the system. Yeah. But with that said, um, you know, the, the, a lot of the stuff that that doesn't get done up there, like a lot of, all these MRIs that we do down here, people come in and get MRIs for, for a lot of different reasons, but a lot of times they are completely unnecessary. And that doesn't, that's just, not just say MRIs, that's just an example, but a lot of the things that healthcare down here does is inflated. And unfortunately, if you look at a lot of the, if you look at the, the paper trail, a lot of it is dictated by reimbursement codes. And wow. that's, that's what you get when you mix money and medicine. How many times have you come across issues with your patients who are like, they need urgent care or an urgent procedure and the insurance companies are saying that, that you can't get authorization to do it because. So, so urgent and emergent, all that stuff is covered by acts that require uh, facilities to cover care regardless of people. Okay. Insurance. So, but got it. Okay, I got yeah, it. I think it's called MTALA. I think it's the, is the, is the acronym for it, but the emergency medical something treatment act. Anyway, I, I, I can't remember, but so the, but outside of that, as far as procedures that I recommend for my patients, I would venture to say that there's more people here in the U S that don't get the standard of care because, uh, their insurance is denying it or they can't afford their copays or their deductibles. Mm-hmm. I think that that results in way more people forgoing the standard of care than, people north of the border in a single payer system not getting the standard of care because of wait lists. Yeah. That's messed up, man. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Let's let's get to the next question. Um Okay, so this is this is a, a kind of related. So after your experience, what realistic changes would you like to see reinsurance slash treatment? <laughs> uh we need to abolish health insurance companies across the board. That sounds extreme. I am a huge proponent of uh, a single payer health care system in the yeah. U S and that's not, not just universal healthcare. It's universal prescriptions, universal dental, universal vision, universal everything. I think that it's no different. Like I said before, it's no different than having sort of emergency services like health, like, uh, you know, fire, having the fire department come to your house if your house is burning down mm-hmm. versus having police come to your house. If you need police, it's, it's the same, all the same social services. I think Yeah, you mix money and medicine and you all, and money will always win every single day. It's, it's, I, they need to be abolished. They're middlemen that siphon off. Yeah, insurance companies are middlemen that siphon off money from the system from both sides. They deny paying me for treating patients, and they deny authorizing care to the patients. And they're just so they're just sucking money from both sides. They offer zero value to the system, in my opinion. Uh, and they need to go ruthless. Yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's messed up. Okay, so the next question is, we saw a bit of your freaking out, Becky. How did you cope? What did you do to ground yourself to get through it? 
Um, I didn't really cope well, I don't think. I don't think I've been coping well at all through COVID. <laughs> I think that that was, I think that that was just another like layer on top. Um, I don't know. I mean, I try to distract myself, but like, it's so hard because of COVID, there's nothing to do besides right. work. You're, you know? you're at your, your home every single day. Right. Not leaving the house. Yep. Due to being responsible. Yep. And only leaving the house when you need to. Mm-hmm. And you go stir crazy. Yeah. I ate a lot of junk food. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I rewatched a lot of mind numbing shows that are overwhelmingly positive Mm -hmm. that there's not a lot of death or crime or bad stuff that happens. I feel like that kind of helped numb my mind and take my mind off things a little bit. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like going for walks, sitting outside, drinking a shitload of coffee, eating a lot of chips, a lot of it revolved around food coping. Mm-hmm. Um, trying really hard to do self-care things like being mindful and doing yoga and um, listening to podcasts that had nothing to do with work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. Um, sometimes days were a little bit easier to manage and other days they were fucking terrible. Um, but we did our best and, you know, Chris, is, you were so... You probably hit a lot of your emotions from me throughout the whole thing because you know how I am and how I pick up and I worry a lot. <laughs> You're my little worry wart. Yeah. I try not to think about the future uh, um, during that time, I think. Cause just because it seems so grim and bleak. Yeah. It was just really fucking scary. Just like thinking about, oh, like before we knew everything again, like going back to that, like, because we talk about having kids, right? Um, thinking like, oh, does this mean like, we can't have kids because if he's positive and he, if we have kids, the kid is going to be positive. And like, is that not a nice thing to do to a child to like bring, you know, um, those are the thoughts that kind of go and you start to spiral and mm-hmm. not, not so fun. And we didn't really tell our family either. Cause we didn't want anybody to worry. So I, I told, um, one or two of my friends, a couple of my friends who I spoke to like every day pretty much, mm-hmm. but I didn't tell any of my family. So I, I, I wasn't really talking to anybody about it. Uh, besides you I told, I told my mom like well after the fact before we released the video yeah like, oh by the way mom I had a needle stick injury from an HIV positive patient's needle mm-hmm. um I'm fine now she's like wait what yeah I'm like yeah, I'm fine she's like oh okay <laughs> I did the same thing with my my mom my dad um looking back and I still think this but I I should have probably seen a therapist and I feel like I should still go to therapy <laughs> um but yeah <laughs> unpack that later yeah we'll unpack that I feel like we unpack it in every episode I'm like I'm struggling I eat chips shamefully in the pantry so nobody can see me through the window just in the pantry eating you're like what are you doing in here eating chips I was like I'm eating chips I feel like if I don't leave the pantry that it doesn't count yeah if nobody can see me and I don't leave the pantry I'm not really eating chips did I really eat them well yes when the bag is empty you really ate them (laughs) (laughs) okay uh we have a couple more questions. Um, somebody's asking, how long did this whole situation last, like start to finish? It was like spring to fall. Yeah, I think it happened in April. End of April, it must have been. It was like August or September. And it was August or September when you got the final results. Yeah, it was like four or five months. Yeah. And then we didn't edit the video for a while after that because yeah. it was a little bit traumatizing. <laughs> Is that funny though? Like, I think I was avoiding it also not not just because it was daunting, but add on the layer, it's like, I just don't want to remember this. This was like a stressful point in my life. I thought about that the other day because I was like, we, we were always like, oh, we need to get the video done and, and whatever. And then 
I was having a really hard time editing it. And when I thought like, oh, I've been avoiding editing this part because I don't want to see myself cry. And then I was like, oh my God, have we been avoiding this whole video because it's traumatizing and negative and we don't want to like go through it again. And I just think that that was actually the reality that we just didn't, we want to ignore the fact that it happened. Yeah. But we knew we had this video that we wanted to put out to help educate people. So it was kind of like a catch 22. I would have loved to forget about the whole fucking thing. Right. But we had the footage. I think that's also the reason why we kind of rushed it, right? Yeah. We're like, let's get it over with, get yeah, it out, get it over get it with. Done. And then yeah. we like push hard for that one week. Yeah. Just basically went from like the, the, the form of the video that we posted versus what it was a week prior. Yeah. Like a week prior, it was just a bunch of random clips. It like, was just kind a bunch of like, of like loosely put into like categories and yeah. we're like, okay, we're going to put this block of tech interviews here, this block here. It didn't resemble anything what it is now. Yeah. No, not at all. And then it was just like, get it done. Um, yeah. I, the night, the day before we put it out, you were like, you know, we don't have to do this. And I was like, I need this out, out of my life and done. Yes. And the, the, like I said, the video and the story was really complicated, but I think reliving everything was mentally fatiguing to the point where I felt like I was in physical pain when I was like finishing the video. <laughs> I was like, I need this to be done. I need this to be over with. Like I was so uncomfortable. I think also because I was like, pushing myself and then I was second guessing everything and then you know we're trying to make this video and make it impactful but also like it was just hard to watch yeah over and over and over and it was a long video too it's 35 minutes yeah like when you're proofing a long video I think the final cut was 31 when yeah. I, after I sliced and diced it more after you were finished with it yeah like when you're going through and you're editing it and then you do your final go through and then you have to go through the audio and then you have to go through the color grade and then you have to listen to it again once it goes on you. So you end up watching the full video like hours and hours and hours, five to 10 times over and over again. And mm -hmm. it's like, you're really reliving that traumatizing experience just <laughs> over and over. Yeah. But you know what? I'm glad we did it. I learned a lot actually from the video and from making, putting together the story. You mean like from a filmmaking standpoint? Yeah. You learn something on all the big projects we do. Definitely. Um, I also, every time there's always stuff that I would change, but yeah, it's life. It is. Okay. Let's, let's go through these couple more. Uh, we got three more questions. We got, or almost an hour. So let's get through these. Okay. Somebody's wondering what my side of the story was, how I held it down for Chris when she wasn't okay. Kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, like, you know, when he had the finger bleeding accident, not saying really anything about it. Um, but I, I mean, I'm very open with my feelings. Like I just tell you when I'm not two gloves and get her done. <laughs> yeah. It was tough. Um, so this question came up a lot. Did the health insurance company contact you after you put up the video? No. No. And you no. reamed them on Twitter. I, yes. I, <laughs> what's the opposite of subtweeting someone when you actually call them out? <laughs> Calling them call, out. Yeah. I called them out on multiple occasions and yeah. tagged Blue Cross, Blue Cross, Blue Shield on Good multiple for you. occasions. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Okay. They wouldn't because they... Yeah. Don't Blue, want to draw attention Blue to Cross it. Blue Shield, who touts itself as a not-for-profit healthcare ins health insurance company. And when you, when you hear the term not-for-profit, like you think that someone will have, oh, they have their best interests at heart, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. They exist in this cutthroat industry where they're vying for, they're vying for market share. Mm -hmm. And if you just take a second and look at all of their top executives pays, how many what, what their top executives are making and the multi-millions and millions of dollars, just because you don't have public shareholders does not mean you are not for profit. Like yeah. that is something that I opened my eyes. Like when I was in Canada, 
I remember I signed up for health insurance or sorry, it was uh, life insurance through Ontario Medical Association. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, we're a not-for-profit company. So any premiums that are in excess of our payouts at the end of the year, we pay back to you guys. So like my like naive idea of a not-for-profit company was, oh, well, if I pay, say, $200 in premiums for the whole year and they only pay out you know, their, their medical loss ratio or whatever the loss ratio is, whatever they pay out in in claims is only a hundred dollars. That means I get a hundred dollars back at the end of the year. Yeah. And that's actually like what it worked out to be with that program. I was in North of the border. Like I would get half of my premiums back. So like when I came in here and I was like, Oh, this is a not-for-profit organization. They're going to give back premiums or they're going to have like, make sure their medical loss ratios are like certain, you know, a certain percentage, which is interesting because with the affordable care act or AKA Obamacare, um, that was one of the stipulations in Obamacare is that they mandated that companies had to have mandates, 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 mandates. If you haven't seen the video, that's, that's, yeah, that's a pivotal scene. Yeah. They, that's, it's mandated that these companies have to have a medical loss ratio of 80%, 85% in some cases, but say 80%, meaning that. Shit. We just lost the camera. Okay. That's okay. Okay. Meaning that if you have if they bring in $100, for every $100 they bring in, they have to spend $80 on actual care for patients. And it caps their profit at 20%. But when you cap somebody's profit as a percentage, what happens then? You increase the size of the pie. So now all of a sudden, you know, hospitals and big corporate entities that are charging these companies who are trying to up the, always trying to up their prices, now it's like, oh, well, we'll let them up their prices. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get a bigger, our 20% will grow. So that's how they make more money getting around skirting this regulation. You know, it's, it's made to be more affordable, but in fact it's, they found a loophole already. So, and you know, I can do shake my head. The cost, the the cost then gets added to the, to the, the patient at the end of the day, the, the the policyholder, our premiums just go up because their costs go up because they're trying to make squeeze more profit out of that 20% of the pie. Anyway, I could go on forever about the, how corrupt this whole system is. This is, it's absolutely insane to me that this exists. Oh, it's fucked. Yeah. Like this healthcare, yeah, this healthcare system pays more per capita than any developed nation and have, they have some of the worst quantifiable outcomes. Look at the life expectancy graph of Americans. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the first, it's the only country that's actually going down in life expectancy. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. This is the last question. Last question. Okay. Did you start planning for what to do if Chris did contract HIV? And if so, what was the plan? Did you plan? I didn't because I thinking about the future freaked me out. So I just waited to see. I, I figured that there, no point in worrying until the test came back, yet I was still worrying. Interesting. And avoiding the free future. That's a Chris approach to things. I know. Well, I kept telling myself, don't worry until we know for sure. There's no point in worrying about something you can't control. <laughs> I can say that out loud, but I will still worry about it. But I was worrying about it, but I wasn't th- thinking about what happens if. I was just worried. What if? Yeah. I wasn't worried because Dr. Kloss when he told me the st- the stats, he was like, look, on paper, the number that this, the, the, the odds that are published is one in 300. He's like, it's far less than that. And even if you do say test positive, the, the life expectancy is essentially the same yeah. as if you weren't positive. So yeah. I should have watched the interviews 
<laughs> oh my God, if you just watched the interviews, you would have been so much less stressed out for the whole, yes. half, that whole half year. Because I learned all of this a year later. Basically. In the edit? <laughs> In the edit. <laughs> Months later. I told you all this stuff. I know, I know. But you know, like, I don't know. I guess it just doesn't stick until you watch it over 10 times before you yeah, export it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So those are some of the questions that you guys asked and we thought it'd be kind of you know, we have this podcast and it, it's fun to be able to kind of go a little bit deeper on some of the projects that we work on and talk about some of the behind the scenes or thought processes or whatever. So uh, we thought it'd be fun to, well, not fun, but maybe interesting to kind of explore. This one's a little it. bit deeper than, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground on this podcast. We have. From accidentally taking you to a rub and tug. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> an adult massage parlor. Yep. To talking about HIV. Yeah. We talked know. about helicopter crashes. We talked about sucking air into your asshole and farting. <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> We've talked about a lot, but you know what? This is an extension of our YouTube channel. So it's it fun is. to be able to do that and, you know, post whatever. And we hope that you guys enjoy listening to it. You know what we didn't talk about? What did we talk about? Which we didn't talk about the potato finger. Same but for that's, the YouTube video. That's going to be the YouTube video. So if you want to know about the potato finger, if you, if you watch our Instagram stories, you know, <laughs> if not, uh, the video might be up by now. If it is, I'll leave it in the show notes. If not, just uh, keep an eye on our, our main YouTube channel and that video will be up. But um, yeah, well, I guess that's probably here. it. One hour. One hour in. All right. So I hope you guys found this episode interesting. And as always, if you have any topic suggestions for us, hit us up on Twitter. That is the best place to contact us is publicly at tweet us. Um, if you DM us, there might be a chance that we won't see it. Um, there would be a hundred percent chance we won't see it. We will not see it. So yeah, tw Twitter is the there spot. There you go. And uh, rate and review our podcast, five stars only. Yeah, don't take into account the swearing because this podcast is rated explicit. There you go. It's funny you have to say that because so many people get offended by your swearing. I know it is. Yeah, I just want one outlet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, one more thing before we go, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who um, left really kind and supportive messages. Um, either on our video comments on our video or DMS or tweets or whatever. Um, thank you for sharing and, uh, for the support because it was a challenging video and it's, that was the highest percentage of positive comments. They were overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. There were, in fact, I can't even, I can think of maybe one or two negative comments, but they weren't even really that bad. It was just kind of, eh. yeah. So we appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Okay. All right. Thanks, we'll guys. catch Bye. you on the next one.